0: On Mind Matters this morning, Dr. Philip George, consultant psychiatrist at IMU and addiction medicine specialist as well. It's exam seasons, uh, Dr. Philip. <laughs> and <laughs> over 445,000 candidates are sitting for their UPSR examinations. Mm. Scary times, scary times, very stressful. And as parents, what can we do to help prepare our children for the exams without putting them under too much pressure?
1: Actually, there are a few important steps that parents can take to help their children prepare. Uh, As this is their first major examination, it's important that they know the processes and structure of the exam. And that really means parents need to start learning about the exam themselves, like how long and what format and what do they need to take and you know, what's being actually tested. So I think what parents can do is schedule study times. You know, usually typically it's 45 minutes to an hour and then schedule breaks in between. Join them for part of that study period as well. You know, they need to have that reassurance and that support. Find a quiet place for their child to study without any screen distractions, you know, because children with phones right next to them is a big recipe for disaster. So, you know, it might be in the kitchen, it might be in their own room, or if that's tough, then maybe at a library nearby. But also maybe tackle exam anxiety. You know, a lot of children ex- actually experience a lot of anxiety, and that's built up from, you know, parents and, you know, Expectations. Other expectations, Competition, yeah. even that's with right. classmates. Exactly. And I think the important message is that you want them to try their hardest. Mm-hmm. You're not looking at the results, but as long as they try their hardest. You know, even teaching relaxation techniques like breathing exercise, you know, have a wooji ball but also ensure adequate sleep during this time.
0: Yes, and uh, hydrate always. (laughs) Oh, yep, yep, that's right. All right. When we come back, we'll take a look at mental health and the link to vitamin D. That's up next here on Light. With me is Dr. Philip George, consultant psychiatrist. Uh, Dr. Philip, uh, looks like a vitamin D deficiency can actually uh, affect your mental health. Uh, How is this?
1: Well, yeah, actually, this study actually found that eleven to eighteen year olds who had lower vitamin D levels were about two times more to have behavioral problems now, it's a chicken and egg story because you know people who have poor vitamin D levels may actually have risk factors for depression and anxiety already mm-hmm. right. because you know it linked to low exposure to sunlight. Uh, poor diet, and all of this can actually lead to depression and anxiety as well, so we're not completely sure whether it's a direct correlation mm-hmm. or it's just happening uh, by and by with the depression or the mental health problem
0: right so can you take a supplement in if in case you find that you are deficient in vitamin d
1: absolutely, yeah, so if we actually identify from the history there's you know poor nutrition and poor maybe sunlight exposure then it's important to do vitamin D levels and supplements have been shown along with other treatments for their mental health problems Mm -hmm. to enhance the treatment. So it doesn't stand alone. Right. Uh, it's got to be together with the other treatments that we t- typically use mm-hmm. for mental health problems as well.
0: Right. What about other vitamins? Can a lack of uh, other vitamins and minerals and even fiber <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs>
1: affect our mental health? Absolutely. Well, nutrition plays a big role in our mental health. You know, for a long time, we've been focusing on nutrition just on our physical health. But, you know, they're, they also contain all the building blocks for our mental health as mm-hmm. well. I mean, all the neurochemicals that are sending messages from one part of the brain to the other really. really rely on a lot of the nutrition that we have. Omega-3 fatty acids are really important for our well-being of our nerve cells, B six to B twelve vitamins are essential as well. We know that B twelve vitamin, if it's low, can actually increase the risk of dementia in right. elderly people.
0: And that's uh, for that's something vegetarians and vegans have to take care of, right? Yes, B12? absolutely. That's right. Mm. Yeah. So it's
1: important that maybe sometimes they do regular checks and you know have diet that's also high or supplements that also provide some of that B twelve and you know other B vitamins as well. Right. Folic acid is another important vitamin which I use typically advise my patients to take in recovery as well.
0: Right. And don't forget, hydrate. <laughs> <laughs> it's always a good thing. Yes,
1: especially with our climate. Yep. Uh,
0: yeah. Uh, coming up, uh, the importance of a preventative approach in workplace mental health. That's something we'll discuss next year on Light. With me on Mind Matters is Dr. Philip George, consultant-psychiatrist at IMU. And the importance of a preventative approach in workplace and mental health is definitely something any successful uh, organization should consider and look into and promote Absolutely. when it comes to our situation here in Malaysia. Mm. Is there enough awareness on mental health in organizations?
1: Sadly, no. In fact, many employers treat once valued employees with mental health issues, almost like criminals. And you know, they sometimes get pushed out of the workplace rather than supported. But large scale studies actually show that when you treat depression in the workplace, you get a substantial return on your investment in fact, relatively quickly. Mm. You know, if somebody has a heart disease, they may be away from work for
0: months. Months, yeah.
1: But somebody with depression can actually recover and get back to work and be just as efficient as they used to be before. So employers should actually focus not only on the physical health of their employees, but also their mental health. Mm-hmm. And it's not their responsibility to make a diagnosis, but to actually identify the problems interfering with work performance And then deal with them, refer them to employee assistance program or panel doctors or mental health professionals, because early treatment is really effective, you know, and actually officers and employers can actually inculcate the thinking and, you know, the communication about mental health. Yeah. You know, they can send messages about good mental health in the workplace, how to manage stress, you know, have Mm -hmm. signboards up near the pantry that talk about, you know, managing things like uh, workplace stress. Do do
0: you think that really helps though? Because I know a lot of people look at that and, you know, scoff at it and and point at it, you know, and nudge each other like, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) How's your mental health today? (laughs) You know, they make fun.
1: Yeah, that's true. But I think for the people who really need it, it does actually have an impact. Well, They can laugh with everyone else, but then follow what has been, you know, brought down by the employers and bosses.
0: All right. Well, coming up, is lithium effective in treating youth with bipolar disorder? We'll discuss that study next with Dr. Philip here on Light. On Mind Matters with me this morning, Dr. Philip George, consultant, psychiatrist at IMU. And taking a look at this latest psychiatryadvisor.com article, Lithium is effective in treating youth with bipolar disorder. Uh, Tell us a little bit more about this. How does it help?
1: Well, lithium is actually one of the oldest psychiatric medications that is currently still in use. It was discovered by John Cade in 1945, and it comes from Greek word lithios, which means stone. It actually occurs in rock, but it's used for numerous medical conditions. And in psychiatry specifically, it's used for bipolar disorder and some types of depression and as well as schizophrenia. The exact mechanism is actually still unknown, mm-hmm. but it's thought to be adjusting levels of neurochemicals in the brain. It's actually the gold standard for treatment of bipolar disorder. And in youth, because in, with bipolar they actually have higher suicidality and they also have increased aggression, which lithium is very effective in managing. Right. So it's I think it's only natural that we think of lithium as a first line, especially in mm-hmm. youth with bipolar disorder.
0: Is it safe? I guess uh, you know since it's been around for many years. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, we know a lot about lithium. The only mm-hmm. problem is it has a very narrow therapeutic range. So in the blood, it has to be between a certain level, mm-hmm. and if it's below, it's useless. If it's beyond, it's toxic. Oh dear. And an so we need to do blood levels regularly. We need to also check kidney function and thyroid function and heart because it can also interfere with all that. But if we weigh the risk and benefits, mm-hmm having bipolar that's uncontrolled can actually cause more mortality and morbidity than being on lithium for your bipolar.
0: Right. So what other methods other than medication can be used to treat bipolar disorders?
1: So medication typically for bipolar type 1 is the first line, but it has to be combined with psychological and social therapies as well. And that includes cognitive behavior therapy, changing the mindset of an individual, interpersonal therapy where you try and manage relationships, and try and reduce conflicts, and social rhythm therapy, which is really important in bipolar, where they actually set routines and identify triggers for illnesses as Mm -hmm. well. Mm
0: -hmm. All right, very interesting. Now, coming up, uh, does more money mean more Scrooge-like pride, according to a study? Yes, that's (laughs) indeed what happens. Well, we'll discuss whether there's any truth in this study with Dr. Phil next here on Light. On Mind Matters with me is Dr. Philip George, consultant psychiatrist at IMU, and according to a study published in the journal Emotion, it says that more money can mean Scrooge-like pride. In fact, uh, people at the lower end of the income scale take more pleasure in their relationships and enjoy caring for and connecting with others, according to the study, and in contrast, positive emotions experienced by people with higher incomes are mainly focused on themselves. <laughs> uh, I don't know about the study. Is there any truth uh, to it? Or is this just a generalization?
1: Well, yeah, I don't think we can actually, you know, take too much out of this study. It's just giving a, you know, maybe a suggestion of a link. But because the study was only on 1,500 people, it's too small a population and it's only the americans that they studied right. uh, so it's not totally representative and the questions that were used were fairly subjective not objective you know mm-hmm. measuring things like awe and compassion and you know contentment that can be very subjective in oh, a way yes and so i don't know if we can take too much out of this But I think it's just telling us that, you know, we need to be wary, that we need to still look at our other Mm -hmm. positive emotions, even in the light of, you know, maybe being successful and wealthy.
0: Right. I mean, uh, when our financial statuses change, either for the better or for the worse, how can we then kind of uh, control our behaviors and our emotions uh, either way?
1: You know, I had this patient who was busy expanding his enterprise. Due to his initial success, he wanted to be more national and then international. He had a lot of dreams. His ambitions were high and, you know, he was fairly high strung, aggressive and irritable. But then he had a sudden stroke and lost his speech. He regained a bit of that, but he lost most of his empire and is confined to a wheelchair. He is depressed. You know, sometimes we get carried away and we have to remind ourselves to be more down-to-earth and humanistic. Mm -hmm. You know, at IMU, where I work, we mandate that all students engage in community service. It's mandatory. It's called IMU Cares. And so a lot of this can be learned and instilled, and compassion and respect can still be preserved even with, you know, wealth, I think.
0: All right. Wonderful. Well, Dr. Philip, thank you so much for joining us this morning on Mind Matters.
1: Thank you, Shaz.